0: Well, good morning, uh, welcome. If uh, this is your first time, my name's Chad. I'm pastor here, and as David was pointing out, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like I'm the least of these around here, because everyone around me is a volunteer, and they do so much work pouring into the next generation tech, music, all of that. I'm just so grateful and just inspired by you. Uh, we have been in this series unlimited and a lot of what has motivated this particular series of talks is my experience especially the first half of 2023 which included taking a desperately needed sabbatical which again i can't thank this community and the leadership enough for you truly rallied and kept the ship moving forward and i'm just beyond grateful and a big part of this season has involved a lot of soul searching and prayer for me working to get clear in my own heart, in my own mind, as to why I do what I do as a pastor. And what it boils down to is this that I am irresistibly for you. The deep within me, years ago, God wrecked me in all of the best ways possible. And since then, I wake up every day and I sometimes struggle to sleep at night because my thoughts are filled with you and the people that you care about, uh, your fellow students, uh, the people you work with, your families, your lives, your faith, your joys, your struggles that you're facing right now. I wake up every day hoping to somehow inspire you in your personal pursuit of a transformative relationship with God and with those that He has put into your life, and how desperately I want you to experience a good God in your every day-to-day relationship with Him and in your lives, not just heaven when you die, though obviously that's no small thing. And at the core, what drives me, is somehow to play a role in helping every one of you become a follower of Jesus who makes more followers of Jesus in this city where approximately 70% of the men, women, and young people don't yet know the true Jesus and what he offers and that your life would become defined by a prevailing faith and a selfless love that each of you would become known as and become a person who has an unwavering faith that informs every decision, every word, every interaction, and that you would demonstrate such an extraordinary level of love and generosity and kindness at school, at work, in your neighborhood, that it just catches people off guard because it's unusual. It's attention getting. It's compelling because it's irrational at times. And as we enter this fall season where summer is winding down, and just so you know, I'm a fan. Did you know we're losing two minutes a day as we proceed. I'm all for it. Uh, I, I like the short days. I know I'm weird. That's why I have a counselor. And so as we enter this fall season, and school's getting ready to start back up, and again, some of you, your students, just like, yay. You know, the parents are like, yes. Uh, and if, uh, you know, as all this is going off on, if you're going to be a part of this church community, I just feel like it's important for you to know what motivates me. And in this series, we spent the first week talking about our time And how crucial it is, and as young as possible, to learn to live as if our days are numbered. Because especially in the American culture, we do not live as if our days are numbered. We live as if we have unlimited time, and we don't. So if you missed the first week, please go back, listen to podcasts, watch online. Last week, we talked about our tendency, especially in America, to live as autonomously as possible. That kind of the goal is to get to where we can be our own boss, calling our own shots to be able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Nobody telling us what we do. Yet we learned from Jesus and Solomon how limited we actually are. And that inevitably every one of us will face something that causes us to stumble in our lives and in our faith and in the relationships that matter most. And and we learned last week one of the most important things we can do to help prepare for that, and I want to wrap up today with just five things that I desperately want you to experience, because again, we've learned that there is a limit to our time and our capacity and our capabilities, and as a leader, as a pastor, as a man who cares deeply for you and the next generation, I just want to give you five specific things that I hope for you to experience in the midst of your limitless options. And I'll let you know up front, the first one is going to take the longest, so when I get done with the first one, don't go, oh my gosh, that took how long, Multiple times, whatever. Like, we're never getting out of here. The Baptists are going to beat us to the restaurants. Like, I've got a clock. It's right there in red, okay? So the, the, the first big thing that I wish for you to experience is a courageous act of obedience that costs you something. That is, that at some point before this year ends, that you would feel an internal nudge from God and feel this nudge from God that's a bit scary, maybe even a bit terrifying. One where it may take a moment like, okay, was that God or was that the spicy Mexican I had last night? I don't know. That every one of you would sense that internal nudge from God to do something that pushes you well out of your comfort zone. And not something like that you manufacture, like, okay, I'm going to come to the edge. I'm going to jump. Okay, God, now catch me. Okay, that's, that's Hogwarts. That's not Christianity, okay? I, I'm talking about the thing that maybe you possibly already know what I'm talking about because it's something that you've been wrestling with. It's something that when you're alone in your thoughts, it comes to your mind or when you pray or every once in a while someone or something or some circumstance triggers this internal thing. There's this sense of knowing that there's something that you're supposed to do, or maybe something you're not supposed to do, or you're to start something, or maybe start something, stop something, yet yet you don't because you're scared, and you don't know what the outcome will be. But here's the thing, saying yes to God is scary because you're not sure how it's going to turn out. But this is how every single one of you take your next step, wherever you are in your faith journey. This is how you go deeper as a Christian. And, and, and you just need to know that until you're willing to take that step, your faith will become stagnant, boring, and impotent. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he once said faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, that it's actually dead, which is why some of you have experienced lifeless faith. I mean, some of you, if you're honest, you're kind of experiencing that right now. Now, sometimes in Christianity, uh, Christians will say things, especially to me as a pastor, uh, they'll say things like, I want to go deep. I want to have deep preaching. I want to learn deep stuff. I want a church that goes deep. And I know exactly what they mean what it means is they want me to go into the intricacies of theology and languages and culture and historical context. And let me tell you, I love that stuff. Like when I went to Bible college and seminary, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. But here's the problem. In the Christian life, deep is not information. It's transformation that comes from personal obedience and action. So that's why most Sundays we preach and teach one big idea for personal obedience and application to experience life transformation, which means that no matter how engaging or compelling or deep I or whoever's communicating are, then try to make the content until you actually apply and act on what you've learned. It will do you zero good. It's just knowledge. Think of the Christians that you have the most respect for, even if you're not a Christian. Maybe it was a grandfather, or a neighbor, or a coworker, or that person you just met. What makes them deep? What makes you respect them? I mean, is it how much Bible they know? No, it's the courageous and loving way they lived their life, especially a love that was directed towards you, in that it's their life lived with a prevailing faith and a selfless love towards you and others. So going deep isn't about information; it's transformation that results from saying no to me and yes to God, no to me, yes to God. Because what is deep? Deep is when you can't touch the bottom. I mean, deep is when you're in over your head. Deep is obedience with no guaranteed outcome. And when you say yes to God in this kind of way, the thing is, no one will have to have to tell you to pray. You're going to pray you're going to pray like crazy. You will pray harder. You will listen more attentively. You'll show up to church earlier. I mean, we begin at 10 on the dot every Sunday. That has never changed. But usually for some of you, it's like, let's be honest, you don't leave the house till you're about 10 o'clock. Like I'm not really a singer. But then one day we're going to sing a song and that we've been singing forever. And all of a sudden you're going to go, oh my gosh, I love that song. We've been singing that song forever. What changed? The circumstances changed because you've allowed yourself to be in a season of vulnerability where you're trusting God more than you have before. Outside these walls in your day-to-day life, you're doing what you know God wants you to do, even if it's a little scary. And you're in that beautiful place where your personal activity and obedience intersects with the faithfulness of God, and something amazing happens. You're experiencing that, that amazing thing that happens when your obedience, your expression of faith intersects with God's faithfulness and your faith comes alive. And someone, as someone who is for you, I want that for you. Because if you go too long without one of those, your faith will become stale and flat and boring. And again, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're kind of there right now. Some of you are already hating this message because you know there's something God wants you to do. And here's the thing that you need to know. You'll never know what's at stake until you take that step or who's at stake. For some some of you, there's something in your life that's beginning to master you. It's toxic in your life, and deep down you know it, and it's time to come clean and deal with it once and for all. There's something you need to cut loose and walk away from, and depending on what it is, you're likely going to need help, and that's okay. For some of you, it's not a what but a who, that there's someone in your life that they're slowly killing you because they're just such a toxic person. For some of you, it's time to leave a job. For some of you, it's time to take a new job. And maybe there's an opportunity, but you're scared to death, but maybe you need to say yes. For some of you, what keeps coming back to you is taking a step towards foster care or being a foster parent or towards adoption. And having personally spent years in working with neglected and abused teenagers and kids and walking alongside foster parents, having done respite care, I can guarantee you, if you do the amazing thing of foster care or adoption, you're going to be so in over your head, it will be awesome. You're going to pray like crazy. You're going to read the Bible like crazy. Nobody's going to have to tell you, get close to God. You mean, like, get close to God? I don't even think I can sin. I need God so much because I'm in over my head. Some of you need to to get downtown or maybe get out of this country and go sit with and serve the poor and the marginalized. I mean, there's just tons of opportunity locally here in our city, tons of opportunity globally. Having personally spent time in the Philippines and Haiti and Africa and Honduras, I have said forever that every single American and especially every single American Christian should go and spend at least a week serving in a majority country. It, you'll never be the same. It completely changes your worldview and your paradigm. We live in such a bubble. We have no idea And I know your life is busy and complicated, but that's the point. God's message is, you'll never know what I would do in and through you unless you get up and do what I'm calling you to do. Some of you have heard me talk, like I did last week, about the importance of getting into authentic community with a smaller group of people, 2 to 12 people. And you say, you know, you hear that and you go, oh, I really need to do that. But then you don't. And you have every reason in the world and you keep people at a relational distance but it's putting you at risk because as the writer said last week, pity, pity the individual who falls and has no one to help them up. For some of you, it's time to test drive serving on one of our Sunday morning teams and deep down you know it, or you feel God nudging you to be more generous with the resources he's entrusted to you for the benefit of others or through this community or through another organization. And all of this is, it's just like the day that Jesus He's walking along with his guys, and there's a guy, a guy in the crowd. And Jesus turns to him and says to this guy, he gives him an invitation of a lifetime. He looks him right in the eye, and he says to this individual, follow me. And this guy has no idea what hangs in the balance of his decision. He replied, Lord, first. I mean, you're really important, but, but first. And that, that's the issue right there. But first, let me go bury my father, which sounds reasonable, but if he's traipsing around with Jesus, his father's not only not dead, he's probably not even sick. He, he, he was probably getting older. Maybe he was getting near the end of his life. But this was his way of saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first. But first, I, I need to get things worked out and sorted out. And you know what this guy's name was? No, you don't. Nobody does. Because... He made excuses to avoid doing what God was asking him to do and to be a part of. He missed the opportunity of a lifetime. I don't want that for you. Because when you measure what this guy gained by hesitating compared to what he lost by hesitating, no comparison. And Jesus' response to us, it sounds very harsh. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus' point was simply this don't miss an opportunity to follow don't miss it because what you gain by hesitating or making excuses does not compare with what you gain by saying yes to your heavenly father and maybe god has been prompting you to do something maybe to prompting you to invest your life into a fellow student or a coworker, maybe a group of them. Maybe he's prompting you to initiate a conversation with an unchurched friend or family member and begin to build a relationship. I don't know what God has been prompting you towards. It would take you way out of your comfort zone, but I'm telling you, you don't know what hangs in the balance. You don't know who hangs in the balance, and I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. The number two wish I have for you is this the thrill of knowing that you were instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus. In other words, I want somebody in the world, other than just a family member, not that they don't count, but somebody other than just a family member, that when they tell their story of faith, that they name you by name. I want for every one of you at some point along the way, to sit here on a Sunday morning when we have a baptism service and when they tell their story of why they're getting baptized, that they mention you by name because you were a person that invested in their life and invited them to church. You're that person that gave them that first book or sent them that podcast, and then you followed up and had a discussion afterwards. You're that person that invited uh, them to begin meeting with you, maybe over lunch or into your small group, knowing that they weren't necessarily a person of faith but they were open to these conversations and you took a risk, that you were that person that you were willing to have that awkward conversation. It's always awkward, that's okay, about faith. And that combined with the people and things that God had also used in their life, now they're following Jesus. And I want you to be a part of their story, that story. I want all of you to be a part of somebody's story because you'll never be more aware of or dependent on God than when you're trying to build a bridge with someone, and you're consistently reaching out, you're extending that awkward invitation to help someone come to know and trust that Jesus did in fact predict and pull off his own death and resurrection, and that by trusting in him, God's son, that we can have peace with God forever. You're going to pray. You'll have friends pray, because tomorrow I'm going to give I'm going to give her that book, or I'm going to invite them to lunch. I'm going to initiate that conversation. I'm going to invite them to church. You're going to be so dependent on God. And at the end of the day, they listen, and they'll thank you for the rest of, your, of their lives. And then every time you think of it for the rest of your life, it's going to move you. And for some of you, it's why you need to start a small group, maybe not with a bunch of Christians, but with a few of your unchurched friends, maybe over lunch, over an after-work beverage, whatever, friends that are open to authentic spiritual searching and discussion. For some of you, it's as simple as inviting that neighbor to church or that person from work who's been asking some questions so you know they're a little bit curious about spiritual matters, but you're scared. You need to engage. In fact, let me ask you if you've been a part of this church for a while. When was the last time you showed up at New Life nervous? Nervous because you invited someone and they actually said, okay. <laughs> or because you're bringing someone or someone was going to meet you here. And you're thinking, Chad, you had better get it right. Do not stink. Okay, you pray for God to make sure I get it right. You make sure, pray that the music will be right. And it won't be corny or weird. And we got to get out on time and it needs to be funny, but not too funny. Spiritual, but not too spiritual. My point is, when was the last time that you intentionally and truly sought to persuade someone to come sit with you at church. Because the reason why we do, the way we do, what we do, it isn't just for Christians. It's for people who need an introduction, and not to me, but to you, and ultimately to a resurrected Savior. When's the last time you offered to buy someone lunch if they just join you Sunday at church? I mean, you will feel so close to God. You will worry so much. I want that for you. You'll view our church in a completely different way. You'll feel completely out of control. It will be awesome. And I want that for you. Plus, every week, you'll see everything that we do through the eyes of your unchurched friends and family. Those that are struggling with belief, those who are far from God, the around 70% of this city who do not know or understand or trust the good news of Jesus. Because if we're not doing something about that, then we are off mission. The third one wish I have for you is the freedom and the joy which we've talked about many times here is from organizing your financial world around give, save, live. The freedom and joy and the peace that comes from organizing your entire financial world around these three words I and Andy and others have talked about before, give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Sadly, this was something that took Sean and I way too long to figure out until a guy named Dave Ramsey spoke at our church 14 years ago in Chicago. Uh, While we had been consistently giving priority percentage giving to the ministry of the church, we weren't so good at the rest. We were like many Americans, living check to check, squeaking by. We had auto and consumer debt, but after hearing him speak, and then for us, it was reading the book Total Money Makeover. I get no commission from this if you buy this, just so you know. Within a year, we eliminated between $30,000 and $40,000 in debt. Part of that involved, as painful as it was, selling my my nice, shiny, charcoal gray, sunroof Honda. I love that car. I was very fond of it. And I sold it, and I went, and I bought a 1991 Mazda Protégé 5-speed, which is, by the way, millennial theft control, (laughs) Don't know the stick shift, but uh, told, no joke, living in Chicago, I would park downtown. I would actually leave the keys in it because, <laughs> like, one, nobody's going to steal this car, and two, nobody knows how to drive a stick. So $1,500, drove it for, like, six years. It was the best investment I ever made. And through acts like that and doing different things, and then before moving from Chicago to here, we literally sold two-thirds of our belongings Now, it helped that two of our four children left home, which meant a lot of stuff went with them, but we just downsized. We moved into what many would consider a starter home, and we just, we did what we needed to do to be able to get a lifestyle that didn't have us living check to check. It gave us financial margin, the ability to be more generous, and breathing room. And the percentages that we learned early on were give at least 10%, save at least 20%, and then live on the rest. Because no matter how much or how little you have, if your stuff comes first, you will never have peace, ever. You're smart enough to know that. Peace comes from a clear conscience with our Heavenly Father and knowing that you're in the center of His will, which involves giving a percentage of our God-given resources to somebody other than us, something bigger than us, and for most of us to the local church and others in need. Because you can't be in the center of God's will if your stuff has priority in your life. Your Heavenly Father wants you to have freedom and joy in your finances. So it's give, save, live. God, you're first, I'm second, I'll figure out how to live on the rest. And I'm just telling you from personal experience, it's better, it's just better. And as I've learned and I continue to learn, what you do with your stuff is an indicator of who your Lord is. Jesus could not have been clear. Jesus said so much about money. His most famous statement, maybe, was brilliant. It's why you should read the New Testament. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, where your stuff is, where your money is, what you value most, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And we all know this to be true. If I want to know where your heart is, all I need to do is look at your bills, your online spending, and your bank statement. And it's the same with me. If I want to know where your heart is, I just need to see your Amazon Prime history. It's like, that's very uncomfortable. Same for me. And if your money in the end is just about you and your family, what that objectively means is that you are about you and and your family. And it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, here's something I can promise. If you live in a reverse order of this, if it is live, save, give, there's always going to be a grinding sense of dissatisfaction and discontent. And besides, you realize you're going to run out of health and time before you run out of stuff, right? Like, honestly, I don't like thinking about that. Like, all of us would like to plan, like, when I, when I check out, I spend my last penny, right? Right? For nearly all of us, there will be a time in our life where we would give away all of our stuff for more health and more time. We touched on this in week one because we, in, we know our health and our time is more valuable than our stuff and your Heavenly Father is going exactly So why? Why would you not dial into the one who has the control over your time and to make your limited time as fruitful as possible? And your heavenly father who loves you, who wants the best for you, who wants you to be free from the control of money and stuff. But the only way to get there is to have some sort of plan. For us, that's what we needed. We needed an adjustment a plan for how to support the local church financially, and if you're like the average American, you don't even have a spending plan, let alone a giving plan. A spending plan is just basically another uh, term for a two-syllable word that none of us like, budget. And, And let me make you a promise, if you start with a giving plan, you will develop a spending plan. I wish for all of you to experience the thrill and the joy of knowing that you are fully your heavenly fathers because you have given him access to the thing that most of us tend to find our identity in and that you would experience financial peace and freedom. So give, save, live on the rest. Hope for, for you to daily engage the Bible, especially the New Testament, to daily engage these documents that we have free unhindered access to in languages we can all understand, to daily engage this collection of manuscripts that we call the Bible, which was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, who all share the intimate details of one story, our story, written, delivered to us by the eyewitnesses, the investigators of the events, including the brother of Jesus. It answers the ultimate questions of life. What is the meaning of life? What is God like? What's my purpose in the big picture? The New Testament shares the intimate details of the life and the words and the teachings and the actions of Jesus, which give us incredible insight into how to live and how to experience life in the full. See, people felt these documents were so valuable that thousands throughout history have given their lives to make sure that these words could make it into our hands and into a language that we could understand. They were so very precious, and today, this day, there are men, there are women and young people around the globe. I've talked to some of their family members here. They are living in places where even possessing a scrap of the text would send them to jail or cost them their lives. There are fellow Jesus followers around the globe that would be astonished that we have such unhindered access to these texts, and even as Christians, we tend to ignore them. My wish for you is that you would begin to engage the Bible on a daily basis, especially the New Testament, because over time I believe you will fall in love with the text and ultimately fall in love especially with the person of Jesus as you begin to discover what he was like, what he sounded like, how he treated people, how he interacted. It will enrich your life, your relationships, and your faith in unexpected ways. And the last wish is this. That is for you to take your next step in your faith journey. For a few of you, you still struggle to believe any of this, or you're curious, or you believe some of it, or you like being part of community and but you've got questions, or you grew up in church and you had a bad church experience, or your parents had a bad church experience, my deep hope is that you would keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, and that you would at least continue to take baby steps. Because the invitation of Jesus that he extended in the first century, he extends to every single one of us every single day. And it's just simple. Follow me. Follow me. It's why we often say about this church, we are a community where you can belong before you believe. You can belong and you can begin to follow before you believe. And we know this to be true because every single person who followed Jesus in the first century, they followed before they knew who he was or were fully convinced that they could trust anything he said or what he was asking them to do. And you know what their faith did? It does the same thing that ours does. Sometimes it was up, sometimes it was down. Some of his followers followed, then they unfollowed, and then they followed again. And our invitation, your heavenly Father's invitation is the same. Would you follow before you believe? Would you follow until you believe? Would you follow even though you don't have all of your questions answered yet? Would you follow as you get answers to your questions. Because as often said here, and David said it, Zan said it, following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at life, because Jesus is who he claimed to be. And for others of you, for many of you, you are a follower. But let's be uncomfortably honest. There's an area where you've chosen not to follow. And what I mean is, You sense you know what God is prompting you to do or stop doing in an area of your life and it's time for you to take that next step in your faith journey. The odds are you know what it is and maybe you have 21 excuses as to why you can't get to it, why you avoid it, you don't want to talk about it, you forget about it, you don't have time for it, why you're procrastinating to take action or you're afraid you're afraid that it will disrupt your regularly scheduled life, afraid because you can't predict the outcome, afraid because you don't know how others will respond, afraid that it will complicate your life, but it's time, it's time to stop with the excuses and with the procrastination. And it's time for you to take that next step. Maybe it's an area where you know you're compromising morally or you know there's something different, something better for you that God wants for you but you make excuses and you justify as to why it's not that big of a deal or I've got this, I can handle this. But deep down you know it's grieving God and it's creating distance. You know it's not what he desires from or for you, but you're choosing to say, God, I'll follow you here, but I'm not, I'm not going to follow you here. It's time to address that. And I don't know what it is, but I suspect many of you do. And my wish for you is to, for you to be, take that next step that God is calling you to take in your following of Jesus. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is from Hebrews 12. It's the first three verses. For me, it's an anchoring verse that during those times that I catch myself maybe being wildly distracted by the relentless and abundant distractions of our culture and this life in general, it reminds, it refocuses, it re-anchors me. And during those times where the demands of life and family and work and relationships are overwhelming, times when my own personal insecurities or fears or anxieties are getting the best of me, This verse re-anchors me, it reminds me, it refocuses me, and it gives me hope. The writer writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring to the extensive list in the previous chapter of numerous men and women and young people whom God called to courageous acts of obedience that cost them, but in the end they got to experience God. They got to be named in the story of God's redemptive work in this world. In light of all those men and women who came before us, who faced all the same fears and doubts, but in the end they got to experience God. They chose to follow and obey. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's cut off, let's throw off all those things that are holding us back, holding us down, slowing us down by fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That on the other side of what there was to receive, that he would go through the most horrific thing, scorning its shame, trusting God. And the end result was that he got to sit down at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured. He endured opposition. Opposition from sinners, why? So that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. As a man, as a friend, as a pastor, my wish for each of you and for myself is that we would brace our limits, that we would cut off and throw off and get rid of little by little the things that entangle us and hinder us, that we would faithfully follow Jesus to wherever and whatever He's leading us to, and that in doing so, we would not grow weary and not lose heart that each of you would pay attention and act on those internal nudges. Act on the ones that cost you a little and act on the ones that cost you a lot. That you don't miss an opportunity to be God's mouthpiece in someone else's life that will help them take their next step in their faith. That you would come up with a plan and get God involved, in what he, and be involved in what God is doing in the world financially, that you would experience financial freedom, that you would begin to engage the Bible, especially the New Testament, every single day. And for every one of you to take your next step, no more excuses, but to take your next step in your faith journey. Those are my hope, high hopes for you. We're going to close with a, with a great song. We've sung it around here for a while. It's called Build My Life. And even if you don't know it, uh, you can listen. The verses capture everything that I've talked about this morning, that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Open my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. Fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the text that we do have. And God, I, I just confess, many of us and for generations, we have, we've just gotten it wrong. And we've confused the main thing with lesser things. And, but Father, for every one of us in this room, I believe that we're here for a purpose, that ultimately that we sense that there's something bigger than ourselves, and that there's more to this life than this life. And wherever any of us is at, Father, in this room or online, I, I, God, I pray that you would show up in an unmistakable way, that you would give us the courage to take whatever that next step is that you're calling us to, that you're just waiting for us to take, to truly go deeper with us and to make our faith come alive like never before. Or for some of us, Father, we've grieved for a long time where early on there was this huge excitement and thrill and passion, and we haven't felt that for a long time. So God, I I pray for each of us that you would show up, that you would give us clarity, that you would give us courage. And the design said on the front end that God that through us, you would truly make us a light in this dark and broken world, that we would bring hope and healing and restoration and the joy that comes from you. I pray for those in our lives that you've positioned us to be that bridge between you and them. And again, Father, that you would give us the courage and the words and the actions that reflect truly what we say we believe. God, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus.